and good afternoon. You're listening to 94.1 FM KPFA here in Berkeley and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. It is now 3 p.m. Stay tuned for Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up. In darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is April the 9th, 2013. Lady Margaret Thatcher has left the building, the planet, ah, this earthly sphere. She was 87 years of age. Let's see, 11 years as Prime Minister. 1979 to... 1990. I'm sure you've heard all about it by now. Uh, she was called the Iron Lady. It's the title of a movie with Meryl Streep. Uh, incredible, um, incredible piece of acting. The, um, part of Dennis, the businessman husband, is played by the inimitable actor Jim Broadbent. Uh, there's nothing he does that doesn't knock my socks off. Uh, try to see him in Topsy Turvy, the wonderful, wonderful movie about Gilbert and Sullivan. Uh, he plays Gilbert, the, uh, <laughs> what his mother calls a humorous baby. Anyway, Topsy Turvy is just one of my favorite films, I digress. Uh, Ah, what beautiful bits of acting they do. Of course, Maggie Thatcher was not an actress. No, no, she was the real thing, genuine. The authentic article. The author of her own life. She had authority. So on a scale that recalls Elizabeth I, of course, she was not the queen. Sarah Palin got that wrong. (laughs) Yes, that's another movie called Game Change, right? Which Sarah Palin has to be uh, educated. She has to learn that uh, the queen is head of state, but the prime minister is the head of government. And, of course, um, her power is analogous to our president. She certainly has more power than anyone in our Congress. Uh, when Nancy Reagan went to London... For to see the Queen, uh, she couldn't have lunch with the Queen. It was Diana's wedding to the Prince of Wales, and uh, Nancy Reagan had to have lunch with Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> she didn't feel that that was the place for her. Uh, a political theater is a hoot. Uh, when the Queen, the actual Queen of 
the UK, did come to visit us, the USA. Nancy Reagan took her down to Universal Studios in L.A. Uh, she said, come and see my kingdom. Of course, everybody knows the queen is a figurehead of sorts, uh, where the, at least where the laws are concerned, but she has a lot of PR clout. You know, just think of the Pope and people who uh, have, I guess, what we call a bully pulpit. I think of Prince Charles going around talking ecology. Uh, it's, yeah, it's better, better that than, you know, just playing polo, uh, Maggie Thatcher actually does remind me, or did remind me, of uh, the great queen, Elizabeth, uh, yes, the first. There's a kind of resemblance in their persona, uh, primate grandiosity, wow, theatrical flair. Uh, she had some voice lessons, but... The truth is, she uh, she did appear to be an instant aristocrat. Uh, of course, Queen Elizabeth I always dressed the part. Uh, she was covered with jewels and pounds of makeup. She just kept putting on more, you know, the, the masks uh, of power. Uh, Maggie Thatcher, yeah, she only wore those two strands of pearls her husband gave her. She said those were non-negotiable when they were telling her that she uh, she needed to change her affect. Uh, she did change a few things, but, uh, yeah, those little twins, I think of them, uh, a boy and a girl at the same time. How efficient she was. All done in one go. Two kids. Okay. <laughs> I think... Uh, I think I could sum it up. Let's see. Years ago, in 1989, I was on a short visit to London. Ah, right. I was in the Victoria and Albert Museum, and I heard two guards there talking about uh, Mrs. Thatcher. One of them, one of the guys, finally exclaimed, ah, But is she good for Britain? Right. That is the question. Is she good for England? Now, we know we've been hearing how many people seem to think so. Uh, uh, just as many think not. Certainly, she was not a progressive. She had no patience with feminists. She was a stern conservative. She was consumed with conviction, at least in public. She had those 11 years, right? It's a long run for a prime minister. 1979 to 1990. She wanted to yank Britain away from that post-World War II business, you know, national health and uh, all those habits of social welfare. And, of course, she didn't get rid of everything, but she did manage to bust some unions, especially the miners, Remember Reagan busting the air traffic controllers right after he came into office? Together, the two of them made the 1980s that decade uh, uh, when the axe fell. So many, so many hopeful 
governmental uh, choices there were. Oh, dear. I've heard it claimed that she saved the British economy. Uh, what do I know? I'm certainly no economist. I remember when Ronald Reagan said that ketchup uh, was a vegetable in regard to children's school lunches. You remember that? Maggie Thatcher was called a milk snatcher. Yes, the school kids lost their daily pint of milk. Now, I know that's good PR for the left, but uh, it does seem symbolic. Ah, I guess British stiff upper lip was her style. She grew up a grocer's daughter. She was lucky she married money. Dennis Thatcher, yes. He was a uh, businessman. Got her through some of that barrister business, paid the bills. It's so convenient to have a husband, you know, to hold your coat, uh, have your back, right. Uh, so many high-profile women have help. Uh, God knows they need it. Yes, who wouldn't want a wife? <laughs> oh, who was it who said that? Um, oh, gosh, one of our women. Now, I've forgotten who. Anyway, uh, I think the kind of help that really serves uh, at least the kind of women that uh, uh, I think are important. Uh, they're the ones who need that uh, emotional, intellectual help almost as much as uh, they need the financial help. Uh, I think of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. There's a recent New Yorker profile, if you can find it. It's uh, astonishing she had a terrific husband, Bella Abzug. You remember uh, her beloved Martin. I remember reading an article about her love for her husband here on KPFA. There was Emmeline Pankhurst back in the day. That was in Britain early in the 20th century. Uh, the suffrage movement votes for women. Uh, I don't know the details, but the impression I got was that Emmeline Pankhurst had help from her family, certainly from her two daughters. Uh, go back a little further, you've got Mary Wollstonecraft at the end of the 18th century. She had terrible luck with men most of her life, but then at the end, she found Godwin. They had this child, and uh, Mary Wollstonecraft died of septicemia, childbed fever, their child turned out to be Mary Shelley, but that's another story. Uh, think, actually, in today's world, think of Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Bill Clinton may be a headache, but he's never a bore. It's a funny thing whenever I say women might do better at government than men. You know, we always say that... If women ran things, uh, at least, you know, they wouldn't kill all the children before lunch, that kind of thing. Uh, I guess, you know, I always hear someone say, but what about Maggie Thatcher? Yes, Philip Muldry used to say that. He would say, what about Maggie Thatcher? I think that uh, progressives mostly condemn her tactics, this draconian tactics she used uh, 
I guess she is a large part of the conservative revolution that lurched us to the right. Oh, golly, I do date it 1980. And I do condemn the lurch to the right. Uh, as I say, I'm hardly a political analyst when it comes to political economy. I just know that my eldest son was 20 years old in 1980 and that Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan defined the era, symbolically anyway. I, I know that um, one individual never uh, changes everything, but they, they seem, to, seem to synthesize or at least symbolize the times in which they live, you know, it's, it's all about this stuff about why Barack Obama cannot be Franklin Delano Roosevelt all over again. Different times. I think uh, the vast right-wing conspiracy that Hillary Clinton talks about uh, is now just the new normal. I think it's a reaction to the spirit of the 1960s, the end of the Cold War, you know. Capitalism won, so what the hell? Go for it. Every man, woman, and child for themselves. It's the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. The precarious proletariat uh, is getting larger by the hour, even as I speak. I remember when Jimmy Carter pointed out the incredible numbers of internal refugees, how it was just exploding. People who literally have no country. Uh, Thatcher, I guess, had that star power. That's why she will be remembered. She had the British grandeur. That Falklands War, I, I think it made her feel like Winston Churchill in World War II or something. Uh, she went for broke. She didn't care how much they spent, right, you know. Uh, always money for war. Of course, uh, the UK, United Kingdom, is a democracy. Uh-huh. And both she and Winston Churchill lost their jobs when their own party said, it's enough already, it's enough. You've done your job now. Get out of here and uh, we'll swing back the other way, hopefully. I don't think so. I don't think so. The question remains, as the guys in the museum said, is she good for Britain? Was she good for the British people? I heard someone say that, anyway, she was good for comedy. <laughs> yes. The great British comedians arrived in the 1980s. I'm trying to think. Actually, Monty Python was much before that. But, you know, the Brits, they're just geniuses at theater and satire. Ah, comedy always needs personalities. Someone who's extreme... Someone to focus the anger on. Reagan hasn't had it so rough. I have trouble understanding why he is now so heroic uh, in the public imagination. It's very interesting the way that's happened. Uh, 
I think it's because he arrived in such good times, uh, well, relatively good times, makes me very angry because I live here, here in these United States, and I saw what happened when mean spirits, when right-wingers lowered the boom back in the day, back in the day. I tend to fall apart when I think of the past, you know. When we seemed, oh gosh, to be slouching towards socialism, I always thought, well, you know, pretty soon we'll be like those lovely Scandinavian countries and, you know, we'll have an economic democracy. Don't call it socialism, call it economic democracy. And you remember that was back when liberals, yes, when liberals were proud of being uh, cool. Yes, it was a proud label. Now people apologize for their liberal views. Uh, I don't know. I hope it's still a possibility. Martin Luther King had just begun to deal with uh, those issues that fight about, you know, poverty. Just before he was killed, interesting, very interesting. You know, the first problem was when he spoke out against the war in Vietnam. And then, then the powers that be saw that he was going after the rich. Anyway, the great struggle continues on and on. Okay, yes, uh, rich and poor. Reaching for a better world, better man, wiser woman. Thatcher, Margaret Thatcher, Lady Margaret Thatcher, was the only female prime minister in British history. And I guess she has proved once and for all that a female can be just as hard-nosed as a man. So that's all settled. That issue is out of the way. Do check out that film, The Iron Lady, uh, just for the acting of Meryl Streep and Jim Broadbent, uh, Actually, the movie, I think, uh, is all about age. It's, what is it? It's kind of done in flashbacks. And you see Meryl Streep still trying to be the prime minister <laughs> at dinner parties. It, this movie goes on the shelf along with Helen Mirren's picture about Queen Elizabeth II. Very interesting, this British British character, British persona. It's also about how the people at the top lose touch with the ordinary people. We know this. This is just a cliché. But I don't know what it is about uh, power. It not only corrupts, <laughs> it, what is it, um, it makes you blind, yes, it's blind, uh, yes, to think you can be rich and not act rich is to think you can be blind and not act blind, said Oscar Wilde. Okay, of course, if power corrupts, so does poverty. Oh, take your pick. Now today, I want to tell you all about uh, a show on cable. 
I'm looking here to see the review from the New Yorker, current New Yorker of, well, it's March 25th. And uh, I want to talk about it because there's only a couple episodes left. Seven episodes, seven hours on cable Sundance Channel. It's written and directed by the great feminist Jane Campion. C-A-M-P-I-O-N. Jane. Now, you will remember her. Uh, I guess her most famous movie is The Piano with Harvey Keitel. Her, her, one of her very first films was called Sweetie. It knocked my socks off. It was a horrendous, horrendous film about sexual abuse and what it does to two sisters. They both have entirely different syndromes. Uh, sweetie, it was. She's from Down Under, of course. Uh, this series takes place in New Zealand. And she's, I think, reaching for the mainstream. She's made it into a detective story. It's titled Top of the Lake. Yes, Top of the Lake. Uh, you remember Prime Suspect with Helen Mirren? There's a young woman, Elizabeth Moss, is the actress who plays the, the central character, Robin. Yes, Robin. And I think, uh, yes, the... Uh, the New Yorker says that this movie or this television series is actually a meditation on sexual violence. I think it's a bit more than that, but uh, that is the theme. Jane Campion always has a, what's that called? Uh, not just a theme, a cause. Her cause is about... Uh, women's lives. Uh, this review is a bit, uh, it's by Emily Nussbaum. And several times this reviewer has what I would call patriarchal <laughs> points of view. She makes fun of a group of women. They're predominant in the series. Uh, it's a kind of a sanctuary of wounded women in New Zealand. And they've found themselves a place out in the, uh, in the wilds. And they're grouped around a character played by Holly Hunter. You remember Holly Hunter from The Piano? And, uh, yes, let's see. This reviewer says mean things. She says that the, the place is sort of a burning man kind of place or kind of a, a hippie commune. And she calls the, Women chatterboxes and all that. Okay, I don't like that. And let's see. I don't know. I guess it's just conventional to make fun of older women. But anyway, uh, actually, yes, this meditation on sexual violence does concern every single one of the characters, not just the group of women out at the sanctuary, the wounded women. Uh, the Holly Hunter character is apparently, uh, a kind of comment on Jane Campion herself. She has the long, long trailing gray hair, and there's lots of things that uh, indicate that the writers <laughs> are being kind of kind of autobiographical about this thing. Uh, now, I think, yes, I think 
that uh, the writing in this show is almost as good as the images. That's a problem, you know. Mostly writing goes unnoticed. Uh, now, Jane Campion wrote the thing, but there is another person listed. I, I'm assuming it's a man, Gerard Lee, especially the dialogue. He's also, yes, it says co-written by Campion and Gerard Lee. Uh, I've only seen four of the episodes, but I'm hooked. Uh, I think a lot of people will find it slow. Uh, I would say thoughtful, meditative, especially because you have these incredible, breathtaking images of New Zealand. Uh, awesome, awesome. The central character is a uh, woman from Australia. Her specialty is crimes against children. And she's come back to her, her own village because her mother uh, has a terminal illness and... Uh, we find, yes, they use um, a little girl, Tui, yes, Tui, a half Thai, yes. Her mother was from Thailand, and her father is the meanest man in town. He's an awesome actor. Uh, his name is Peter Mullen, the actor. And he scares, he scares me to death, uh... Actually, all the male actors in this film are special. Usually, you know, they're just props in some of the more uh, generic feminist films. But uh, this time, we've got, I guess, what we call authentic characters. Uh, the idea, of course, is to purify our corrupt institutions, folks. You know how that goes. Uh, the... New Yorker Review talks about good writing on cable television, you know, beginning with Twin Peaks and that kind of thing. Uh, yes, and also, also, they tell about the, uh, what is it, the, the backgrounds, the sets, and <laughs> the, the reviewer, Emily Nussbaum, does make fun of some of the men, too, as well as the women. Uh, she talks about the fact that most of the men are heavily tattooed. It's pretty awful. She's talking about how they resemble Harvey Keitel in the piano. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, she says that the series is a trip worth taking, that it's visually magnetic, but it's also funny and sexy. Uh, right. Uh, and emotional, yes, disorienting. She says there are several loose ends, but they kind of feel necessary. Now, it's interesting. Let's see, the, the uh, show was shot in a rustic air, area. Let's see, it's near Queenstown. And this enormous lake is very profound. It's about the subconscious, you know, all that sort of thing. The little girl, the, she's 12 years old and turns out she's pregnant. We know this in the first episode. I don't want to be a spoiler because this is a detective show and it's fascinating. Uh, I'm assuming that one of the men in this village is the perpetrator of the crime. The detective, Robin, has a history herself. Uh, I won't go into that because, once again, I don't want to be a spoiler. In one of the opening scenes, 
we see this little 12 year old girl she walks into the lake the freezing cold lake and we think she's going to drown herself uh, then she comes out and we understand that she's 12 years old and pregnant that's enough for a meditation on sexual violence uh, this has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Once again, that show is top of the lake on the Sundance Channel. Three episodes to go. Get it on a DVD. See it all at once, I think. See you next Tuesday. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Drop the shadow. From South Bay Guitar Society's customary solo guitar concert programming, our next evening concert will feature composer-slash-guitarist Eric Simons and a serenata trio ensemble. Eric Simons is a performer who not only lives for the roots of his instrument, but is an innovator performing and composing new works in both classical and modern genres. This benefit for the South Bay Guitar Society is taking place on Saturday, April 20th at 8 p.m. at Le Petit Trianon Theater, 72 North Fifth Street in downtown San Jose. Tickets are $30, $25, or $15 and can be purchased at www.sbgs.org or by calling 408-292-0704. There's free garage parking and this event is wheelchair accessible.